There we go. Is that going to go if I click it? Yep. There we go. Nice. Okay, cool. All right. Well, hey, uh, so glad you all are here. So glad we're uh, together. I wanted to start by uh, just kind of saying, you know, we're, we're continuing on this emotional maturity series that we've been getting into, and uh, today's topic is responsibility, and I can hear a collective groan, uh, because, <laughs> and maybe that's just because, I don't know, like, I, or maybe I'm, maybe I'm projecting that, maybe I'm putting that on you because I feel a groan whenever I hear that word responsibility, you know, but one of the things that we are called into in being emotionally mature people and being healthy people is, uh, you know, some level of healthy relationship with being responsible. And I think that what happens for me whenever I hear that word is uh, I get, I get kind of anxious. I get kind of like, uh, I feel bad. I feel, actually feel shame when I hear the word responsibility because I'm just so aware of all the ways I am not responsible, like all the ways that I let people down or I just, you know, I feel disorganized or, you know, uh, just inadequate to the task of adult responsibility, that crushing you know, whatever that, whatever that monster of, of uh, Im- what we imagine adult responsibility is. You know, but I think the other thing that people often feel when we bring up the topic of responsibility is exhaustion, right? Like some people just feel it's like, man, I'm just, I'm responsible for so much. There's so many things that just are on me and the pressure that I feel. And what's really interesting is that the, the perceptions and the ways that we feel about being responsible don't always match the reality. And in many cases, sometimes they're inverted, right? The people who feel like, oh, I'm just crushed by all this responsibility actually can kind of be flakes sometimes, right? And then people who, who like are super responsible feel like, oh no, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just really not, I'm letting all these people down and I'm not coming through for people. And it's like, a lot of times the way that we feel about it can actually be the inverse of what is actually true. And I'm not saying that that's the case for everyone or, or in every situation, but it's just interesting the feelings that come up when we talk about responsibility. They're not always positive and they're not always accurate uh, in their relation to what's really real and what other people uh, experience in terms of us, in terms of being a responsible person. And so I wanted to kind of start with an exercise where we take some time to pray and reflect. And that's why I invited you guys to grab some writing, writing materials. Um, but what we're going to do here is, in a second, is we're just going to welcome the Holy Spirit. And we're going to ask God to just speak to us and to help us um, reflect on the truth that God is really the ultimate one who's responsible. Right? And, uh, and just to accept that gospel, to accept that good news, and let let ourselves rest in that knowledge. And so uh, I'm going to just ask for the Holy Spirit to come. Maybe you get comfortable. And I just want to say, like, uh, if you fall asleep while we're doing this, uh, that's okay. <laughs> like, uh, that, that maybe, maybe uh, sleep is really what your body needs right now, and you fell asleep in the presence of God. What a beautiful thing, all right? Like, God wants us to experience his rest. And so um, I'm going to just pray and welcome the Holy Spirit. Father, we just, we just thank you for your presence here. We thank you for being here. God, I just, as we start right now, we just want to thank you for all the ways in which your responsibility saves us. 
Lord, we just we want to thank you for all the ways that we're able to rest and relax because we know that you are dependable, because we know that you will take care of us, because we know that you will provide for us and save us. So, you know, if you want to write some things down or you just want to take a few moments to kind of pray silently, just take a second to to thank God for the ways that he is responsible. And then just as we're thinking about and experiencing the joy of just like resting in God's responsibility and the ways that he follows through on his promises, the ways that he is faithful to us, all the ways he catches us when we're irresponsible and he picks us up, and all the messes that we make that God cleans up. In that place of rest, I just I want to invite you to ask God to help you think of someone that you know, to help you think of a person um, that you know that is a responsible person. God has put some people in your life. Maybe, maybe it's somebody close to you. Maybe it's like a parent figure or a coworker, or um, maybe your spouse or someone that you know at church. It could be anybody, but, but ask God to highlight to you one person who you experience as a responsible person, as a person that is faithful, that you can count on them, that you find yourself depending on them. God has put this person in your life and you find yourself relying on them to be there for you. And I just want to take a minute or two to think about how grateful we are for that person. Maybe if you want to, you could write down some of the ways that um, that, that person is a gift to you.
just as, as you kind of come in out of that experience of being in God's presence and kind of maybe waking up <laughs> if you fell asleep or <laughs> whatever, um, I want to invite you to, uh, if you have a phone uh, and, and you're feeling brave, maybe if it feels comfortable or feels natural, um, maybe, maybe kind of just send that person like a one or two sentence text and just say, hey, these are the ways that I appreciate you being responsible in my life. Uh, this is something that you do for me, and I just, I really see that, and I really am grateful for that. Let that, if, if you've thought of a person, and you, you have some tangible things that you can say, yeah, you know, like, I really experience you being responsible in these ways. If you feel comfortable, if it's appropriate now, and maybe, maybe there's too much, maybe, maybe a text feels a little cheap, and so you want to do it later, that's okay, too. Uh, like, maybe you want to have the conversation with them in person, or you want to write them a letter, but I would just encourage you to think about maybe taking a moment to let that person know. Just let that person know what their responsibility means to you, how it's a blessing to you. Uh, and if it's true that you do thank God for that, maybe let them know that you do thank God for the ways that they're responsible and the ways that they care for you that way. And I, uh, I, I have a little bit of a, a motive that I'll cop to uh, in, in trying to lead us through this exercise and trying to just invite God to speak to us and, and kind of start from that place of gratitude and thanksgiving for God and rest in his promises and in his responsibility. Uh, it, I'm, I'm trying to kind of help us reorient some of those anxious negative feelings that we have about the topic of responsibility because I think when we are able to see how we experience another person being responsible toward us, we get at, it's easier to get at the right motivation for wanting to be a more responsible person, right? We want to be that kind of a person for other people. We want to be a person who we can, you know, people can trust our words, that we are the kind of people who uh, if we say we're going to do something, then we will. That we're going to be the kind of people who are responsible and that we're not taking on too much responsibility, that we're able to draw boundaries and say, you know, like, I can't be responsible for that, and that's okay. It's actually responsible of me to know my limits and to know what I can commit to and what I can't and to, to be a person who's dependable and who is a blessing to others through being responsible. Um, and I think that that, you know, when we think about how another person is responsible toward us, it's just a lot easier to cut through the noise of shame and guilt and fear and all the things that we feel <laughs> when we start to think about, oh, no, I'm not responsible or I'm so tired of being responsible. Um, and just get to the good stuff that I think God wants for us. And then next I'm going to read, uh, we're just going to read a little scripture here. I'm going to really try to get out of the way uh, just because I, I'm trying to respond to the feedback <laughs> that we got last week. <laughs> uh, you know, there was some, there's some rather uh, pointed uh, and true, and I'm, I'm grateful for it, uh, feedback about um, sermons. And I know that when I don't prepare uh, well, I go too long. Uh, and I just want to say I hear that, and I'm trying to get more focused and more tight in what we do during these times when we're trying to experience God together and hear from the Lord together. Um, I, I want it to be more brief, and so I'm going to try and get out of the way. 
we have a kind of a long passage of scripture to read. And then I want to make just a few observations and then invite people to pray uh, so that we have lots of time to pray. Uh, because one of the <laughs> some of the feedback that I got was that, you know, by, by preaching long, I actually make it harder to respond uh, in prayer ministry. And, you know, I have to own that. I'm, and it's hard because uh, I, I'm now responsible for all these things that people have told me. It's like now I know I can't claim ignorance, right? And so uh, <laughs> I'm trying to respond uh, to, to that feedback um, and, and move in the right direction. I do ask that you would please be patient with me. And so if there is some part of the feedback you felt like I totally ignored, um, but if you would let me know that it was you that, <laughs> that had that piece of feedback, that would be useful to me. Uh, because one way I, I, I think I kind of botched that thing that we did last week was uh, I, I made it anonymous. And uh, there's advantages to that because then people feel like they can share more openly. But then I also don't know who's saying what, how to kind of ask more follow-up questions to understand. So if you feel comfortable letting me know, uh, that's really useful to me. Uh, but let's, let's come to the scripture here. And let's look at this through the lens of responsibility and kind of try to pay attention to how are people responsible or not? What is Jesus responsible for? How, does he, how is he responsible for the people in the story? And then, um, you know, maybe also just kind of like try to find our place in this story, okay? So here's the word of the Lord in uh, Matthew 14, verses 1 through 21. It says this, at that time Herod, the Tetrarch, heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist, he has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And had John, uh, oops, got back one. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. 
We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. I want to just highlight a few things that I feel like God might want us to notice this morning. And if you notice other things, that's great. One thing I want to notice, first of all, uh, is where this story starts out. It starts out in a really dark place with a person who has way more, pow- uh, way more power uh, than their level of character. Uh, and that person, of course, is Herod. Herod is this person who's supposed to be the king of the Jews, right? He's supposed to have, uh, you know, authority and leadership and be the, be the, the king that, uh, that, that represents God's kingdom on the earth. Uh, and he is terribly irresponsible with this. He's in an inappropriate relationship with his brother's wife. Uh, and he is watching that brother's wife's daughter. So I, it's like alarmingly incestuous, as most royal uh, courts are. But it's like, what, what is going on with the daughter of Herodias dancing for Herod at this party? And the, I mean, it's like twisted, right? Like there's, there's some things that are really bizarre. I mean, he's clearly not taking God's rules about sex and healthy sexuality seriously uh, in a way that we still consider icky in our current culture. But Herod is being really irresponsible just with the way he's living his life. And then at this party, uh, he kind of he promises more than he can deliver. He promises more than he can deliver and then, because of the social pressure around him, he, he does what he doesn't want to do. Now, I think it's worth noting that Herod is so weak as a human being and so twisted, you, he has either really bad morals or maybe just no morals at all, right? Maybe there's just nothing. There's nothing for him to submit to or orient his life around. And he's just blown by the wind, right? Like, it's just popular opinion, mob rule, like... And, and what's really interesting is that, like, in trying to please all the people that he's leading, uh, he really is not leading them. They're leading him, right? He's just running around, putting out fires, trying to respond to try to please all these people. And he's not being a leader. He's being really irresponsible with his life and his actions. And when I read this story, I, man, you know, it's like, it's, uh, I don't think I'm quite as bad as Herod, but I can see some of those trends in my life. Like, uh, and even, you know, like, I think there's a word of caution for me when I read this, that if I only am trying to go around and make everybody happy, then I have abandoned my calling and my leadership, uh, and that, that, is, that is the road to failure. That's not who I want to be. Um, and so becoming aware of the ways that I feel those pressures from others Uh, That's important. Then we have Jesus, right? Jesus is actually like, you know, the perfect leader. Perfectly responsible, 
perfectly in control of his emotions. He experiences this tragedy of losing his cousin. So John the Baptist was, you know, kicked in the womb when Mary came uh, to see him. You know, we hear that story at Christmas time sometimes when, when, when Jesus was in Mary's womb. Mary went to visit her cousin Elizabeth and, uh, or her sister. I don't, I, I'm confused on the relationships now, but, but close relatives, right? And John kicks in the wombs. And John's whole deal is that he's the forerunner for Jesus. He's telling people, prepare the way. Jesus is coming. Jesus is the Messiah. John baptized Jesus. Like, there's a, there's a depth of relationship here between John the Baptist and Jesus. And I have to imagine that Jesus was pretty, uh, pretty grief-stricken and probably pretty anxiety-stricken when he heard of what happened to John, that he was killed that he was killed in this unjust, terrible way by a terrible person for terrible reasons. Just the trauma of that, that Jesus experienced in losing his cousin and his friend and his co-laborer and the work of the kingdom of God. And so he, I think, rationally and uh, responsibly thinks this would be a good time for me to get away and to pray and to just be with God and kind of get clear on what I'm thinking and feeling and like Jesus withdraws, right? He's going to a solitary place. At least that's what he's trying to do. And then as he's trying to do that, the crowds of people are coming and saying, coming to him for healing, coming to him for bread, coming to him for words of hope, coming to him hoping that maybe he's the Messiah who will throw off this false king and throw off the false oppression of the Romans and the false kingdom, coming to him and just overwhelming but Jesus doesn't let his grief and his anxiety determine his actions. He's filled with compassion. He's moved by care and concern for the people who are coming to him for leadership. And Jesus' kingdom is a voluntary kingdom. It's a kingdom that works by invitation, not by conquest. It is a kingdom that advances through love rather than war and rather th than violence. It advances through the opposite of the violence. Jesus' kingdom advances through healing and through care. And so people are coming to him, and they want that. They want to be in. They're opting in. He's not lording it over them. People are coming to him saying, we want you to lead us. We want you to be the Messiah. We want you to save us. We, you know, what can you do for us? Help us. And Jesus is moved by compassion for those people. And I just want to say that it's good to think about how Jesus behaves in this situation. It's always good to reflect on that because I think that as Jesus' disciples, we're looking to Jesus as a model and we want to be as like Jesus as we possibly can. But if we place ourselves in this story as Herod, the fact that we're at church, the fact that we're looking at the scriptures, the fact that we're opening up the Bible and trying to learn from it and understand what God is saying to us so that we can obey, that probably means that we're not Herod. Right? Herod just doesn't care. Right? He's over it. Right? But, uh, so we're probably not Herod. It's probably not uh, kind or compassionate to ourselves to place us in the story as, as Herod. Uh, Jesus is probably a bit beyond where we're at. I hope we have the humility to recognize that most of the time in the story, when we read about Jesus, we are, we, we, while we want to be like Jesus and we want to emulate him as much as possible, we are Jesus in the story. That's probably not where we should identify ourselves 
most. I think the appropriate place to find ourselves in the story is in the place of the disciples because we are trying to become like Jesus. And I think this, the thing to notice here, maybe one of the things to notice, is that Jesus shares his authority and responsibility with the disciples, right? So there's this huge task. There's all these people that are coming to him. Jesus is preaching and teaching and healing and all these things. And the crowd is starting to get a little, little ramped up. I don't know if you've ever been in a, a crowd of people who's hungry and tired, uh, but that's, that's when fights break out, right? Uh, especially if it's hot, I don't know. And the disciples are worried about this, and they say, hey, you know, maybe we need to kind of cut this short so we can, you know, get out of here. And, and Jesus says, no, they don't need to go away. You feed them. And I can't imagine the pressure that a disciple ha- can feel. Like, like, here's this huge crowd of people, and you 12 guys, you you know, 20, 30 people, whatever, whoever's with Jesus in his little entourage in that moment, he says, you feed this, this whole crowd, you feed them. You give them something to eat. That's actually an impossible task. That's actually a task that is not within their capability. And I just want to notice that as a disciple of Jesus, I've often felt like God was inviting me to tasks or orders or mission or whatever we want to call it that were way beyond my capability it was actually something that was literally impossible for me to do or at least it is literally impossible for me to do on my own without god and jesus invites the disciples to do this thing that they can't do without him that they that he knows is impossible for them but he still gives them some responsibility. He still requires something of them. He still invites them to give what they have. And so they've got, a, uh, they got about five loaves of bread and a couple fish. And he says, give that to me. And he takes what they have, and then he multiplies it. Now, there's a version of this story or an interpretation of this story that I I'm aware of by a guy named Shane Claiborne, who I really respect, and I listen to and I try to learn from as much as possible. And Shane, he, he thinks that the miracle here is not like that the fish and the loaves were uh, multiplied, but that it was that people were inspired to share what they had, and then when everybody shared what they had, then that was what made the abundance. And I think there is some truth in that idea. I think that oftentimes when we come and we all give what we have we actually find that there's almost always enough and then more to share. That when, we, that when we don't hoard, when we do the opposite of that, when we come into a community and we give what we have, then there actually is an abundance of resources and we're able to uh, not only provide for the people within our community, but that there's, there's some more extra, there's some, there's some room, there's more margin when the load is shared, when the, when the resources are pooled. But I have to say that I disagree with Shane's reading of this scripture as being teaching that particular truth. While that is true, I think that misses what is the main point of this scripture, which is that we, in our human capacity, and with the only limited material resources that we have as human beings, we do not have enough. 
to do the thing that God calls to do, God wants us to do. When I look at the pattern in Genesis of what God's design of creation is, it really seems to me that the only way that Adam and Eve can have dominion and authority over creation is if they are submitted to God and God is with them, powering it and making it happen. And I see that here in this story as well, that when we step out in obedience and we trust Jesus to take what we have, that's when he is able to give thanks for it. That's when he is able to break it. That's when he is able to multiply it and make the miracle happen through his power and not through human cooperation or uh, human generosity. Though those are miracles in themselves whenever they take place. This is a time when Jesus took what was too little and he made it work. And I think that that is the, the invitation and the, the good news to us is that when we bring to God our little, when we bring to God the, the measly, not enough thing that we have to give, God takes that and multiplies that. And he invites us to trust him to do that and to trust him to do the heavy lifting. It's the easy yoke because he's in that yoke with us. And he's walking along and he's carrying all the weight. Right? And that's the, that's the invitation. That's the way ministry should work. And I, I just want to say a few more words here and then we'll, we'll have prayer. I think particularly, and I just want to confess this, in responding to some of the feedback that we've gotten about Chill Between the Thrills and planning events and stuff, I think there's a lot of nuts and bolts and some things that we have to clarify and work out, but I think that I've brought some anxiety to the way that I've communicated about that per particular event. Like I've said things like, I want it to, come on, this is a big one, we've got to you know, make the most of this opportunity. We gotta, and I think that that anxiety that I'm bringing into it is probably a big turnoff uh, and so I just want to acknowledge that and say, I'm sorry, you know, like, I just, I want to take care of Lacey and Matthew, I want to take care of the teachers that are bringing their art, I want this to be something that is a blessing, not only to our church community, but to, um, but to the rest of our community, and I, I want it to go well, and sometimes that wanting it to go well can kind of help me, I, I don't know, it kind of drives me to get the cart before the horse, but I just want to say, I, I just want to acknowledge that and confess that and say, I'm sorry, guys, you know, if I, if I, if I brought some anxiety to talking about that event, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But what I'm hoping is that this can be a time where we are able to just bring the little that we have, and if all we have is a little bit as a community, that we, we bring that little bit. And if a few people enjoy hanging out around some campfires with some s'mores, and we take delight in the beauty and the, the community that happens in that situation. If we chit-chat with a few people and we have a small gathering where God is present and where people feel welcome, where all kinds of people feel welcome, where, where haunted house people feel welcome, where random strangers walking around downtown feel welcome, where uh, homeless people feel welcome, all of it. If we can be that non-anxious, peace-filled kingdom people who practice God's welcome and we extend that to each other and we enjoy that together, then that's a success and that's good. And I think that maybe uh, just acknowledging some of my anxiety and saying, 
hey, I repent of that, and I want to release you from that. <laughs> as much as I put that on you, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, I'm hoping that God will really show up on Friday. And so I just ask, if you can't be there, please pray for us. Please pray that God will take the little that we have and multiply it. Um, and uh, if you can come, just come and hang out. Give the little bit of time you have. If you can come and bring your kids and roast a few s'mores and then take off, awesome. So good. All right. Uh, right now, I think uh, God wants to uh, be responsible and be our Savior. So I'm going to invite everybody to stand. And so I tried to go shorter so that we'd have time to pray. Uh, this is the time when God wants to help unburden you from the things that are weighing you down. Or God wants to carry things that are too heavy for you. So anything, physical health, uh, mental, emotional health, uh, maybe you're realizing that you're just exhausted and you need to be refreshed. Uh, I, th I think there is refreshing that God can give you. Um, I also think that uh, maybe you just are realizing, man, there's some ways that I've been irresponsible and I need to kind of turn. I need to repent. I need to uh, be a more consistent person. Uh, and I, I feel the weight of that. Uh, hey, God wants to take the weight off and also empower you to, uh, to be that kind of person that you want to be responsibility-wise. So uh, if you want prayer, please just come forward. You guys know the drill. Somebody who's been training will come up, tap you on the shoulder, ask how they can pray for you. God will do stuff, all right?